It is indeed, and 23 minutes after 8 p.m. is the time. Joined in studio tonight by, uh, yeah, certainly somebody who's no stranger to the SABC. Uh, I'm sure he knows the, this neck of the woods uh, quite well. Uh, his name is Dr. Robert Nkuna. He's the Director General at the Department of Planning, Mo- Monitoring and Evaluation. But um, in his other life, for his sins, he was the Director General uh, of the Department of Telecommunications and Postal Services. Dr. Nkuna, good evening. Welcome. Good evening, Ayawonga. Good evening to the listeners. I hope I can say compliments for the last time this year. No, Chief, you can say it until March. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> we say it until March. Okay. No, thank you very much and best wishes for, for 2023. Uh, I was saying to our listeners, it's, you know, probably the best time to speak to you today, especially so. after after the NERSA thing. Um, but before we get there, come a bit closer to the mic there, um, or maybe bring the mic to you. Uh, you can pull it there. Yeah, yeah. So I think the first thing is I'd like to understand, Dr. Robert Nguna, where did it all start? How did you get into the bureaucracy? How long have you been in the bureaucracy now? Yo, for quite some times, I think since 1999. 99? Yes, I joined the Human Rights Commission. Oh. And I must say that it started like this uh, kind of an interview, mm. you know, when I joined the Human Rights Commission. So at the time i was working for the community broadcasting network based at Kosato house okay so a group of activists that mm. were uh, involved in community broadcasting student media and a whole lot of innovations that were coming up you know and these were mainly run by uh, ngos mm. so while we were working there we also made inputs into the policy processes sure 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 one of the inputs we made was the establishment of the Media Development e- Agency. Or MDDA. What yeah? we call the MDDA mm. today. So that was our idea. It didn't start in government. It started with us in the NGO sector and said that for community media to survive in South Africa, mm. we needed a funding mechanism because the funding mechanism that we had at the time called uh, the Independent Media Trust was uh, mainly based on fundraising. And, mm. and funding was drying mm. up you know, with the advent of democracy. So we then sure. said that the South African government needed to come with an instrument, its own mm. instrument to advance media diversity. Sure. Now, when that happens, it was accepted by government. And government said, okay, we are going to work on this, uh, mm. you know, e- innovation and create an instrument that's going to support e- community media. Then I saw posts being advertised that we're going to deal with this, e- you know, idea of ours. And quite a number of us apply for that post at mm. GCIS because GCIS was, was then okay. e, yes designated to deal with this out of the Comtask e report. Mm. But something happened just before that e process unfolded of e, you know th- those positions being e filled. Uh, I saw an artic- many articles in the newspapers, e, you know, at the time, attacking the Human Rights Commission. Mm. You know, the Human Rights Commission had made an announcement that it was going to undertake an inquiry into racism in the media. So I was surprised that the Human Rights Commission was not uh, responding. So I penned an article. I was then uh, 24, 25 years mm. old. I wrote an article which was published by Soweten. Mind you, Soweten just gave me the whole page. You know, so oh. a guy from an NGO, a young star, just mm. coming into the fray and say, no, we needed this inquiry into racism in the media. So that article was published. After it was published, I got a call from the producer of Team Dice when I was hanging out there with friends and say, okay, we're, are you Mr. Nkuna? I said, yes, I am <laughs> Mr. Nkuna. <laughs> are you the one who wrote that article? Mm. I said, yes, I did. 
Then I was called to the studio, mm. SAFM. So I was in Bramfontein, working from Bramfontein. Mm. I walked to the SABC from Bramfontein. Yes, I did. Ah, don't make it seem like it's a, it's a long distance. Yeah, no, well, from, I mean, yeah, no, people now no, it's drive. Long, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine. So I arrived here at the SAFM. Mm. The producer didn't even know me. So I sat there. She kept on passing me, looking for Mr. Nkuna, talking about Mr. Nkuna. So I raised my hand and said, no, I am Mr. Nkuna that you are waiting for. She said, serious? I said, yes. I, the so one she thought you were no show. So mm. I was a big man, yeah. you know, a big show, a big deal. Yeah. So I came. Then I was given an opportunity to speak. Mm. The Human Rights Commission had refused to be part of that conversation. Mm. And I think I was with Raymond Lowe, the late Raymond yes, Lowe from the yes. Freedom of Expression yes. Institute. So we arrived. Yeah, okay. So the show started. I put my views across mm. why it was necessary for the media not to be, you know, don't want to create untouchables in mm. society. Society can't function that way. Mm. And all of us must subject ourselves to one form of scrutiny or another. Mm. So after they interviewed, I walked back to Brownfontein. So <laughs> I went back to Kosato House on foot, done with my task. I was happy. I mm. was at peace. And I think Sweden had paid me some kind of, you know, S stipend. Yeah, man. something yeah, for yeah. that article which sure. uh, helped me and my friends to have a drink. Yeah. But to fast forward, <laughs> Then after that, I mm. got a call. Sure. Is this Mr. Nkuna? Yes. No, it's Lindy Wemukate, the CEO of the South African Human Rights Commission. Yeah. Okay, yes, it's me. Are you the one who, uh, who wrote that article? Yes. On, on the TV show with Tim Dice? Yes. yes. Then said, okay, when can we meet? Mm. So I said, okay, I'm game. I can come to the Human Rights Commission. I think I have an idea in Hotin where you, mm. you were located. Mm. So I said, okay, I'm coming. Again, I walked from, from Brown You know, it was easy. I was young. Yeah. You know, a friend will accompany me. We arrived at the Human Rights Commission. We sat there again. People didn't realize that I had, I had arrived. You know, they looked around talking about Mr. Nkuna coming. Then again, I had to say, oh, okay, no, this is me. This wow. is the man. So I was taken to a boardroom where I found the entire commission sitting there. This mm. was a big deal in South Africa at the time. Mm. Racism in the media. Mm. You know, everyone, black and white, journalists, editors, were united in saying, no, mm. you are not going to touch the media. So then, uh, is this the man? Dr. Pichana sitting there, Shilima Busela, Pensi Tlakula, and all the big shot, Tom Mantata, hey, Leon Vessels, who were commissioners. Mm. So I said, uh, are you the man who's you know, taken piece, up yeah. this matter? So I said, yes, me. So I explained my view and we exchanged and everything. They said, okay, the CEO is going to remain with you. And then the CEO asked me, what do you do? I said, no, I work with the uh, NGOs. We do community broadcasting mm. there, based at the Center for Democratic Communications at Cosato House. Da, 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 da. After that- That's the, the old Cosato House there on- um, Lake Street, on Lake Street. Street. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. we were there at first floor. Sure. The long and short of it, I got a job to be the spokesperson of the Human Rights Commission. Yeah, and there. But then I had issues because I applied for a job because I wanted to go to GCIS. Mm. I wanted to work with Joel. So I had to negotiate for some few months to be with the Human Rights Commission. Okay. And they wanted me to stay. Sure. But then I went to GCIS to work on the project to establish the Media Development and Diversity Agency. Wow. So that is where it all is started in, in, in my life in the bureaucracy. 
I went on to be spokesperson of the Minister of Communications, Dr. Ivmat Sepikasaburi. Yes, yes. We worked well uh, together, you know, uh, a lot of guidance then. She was, if you remember, uh, the first uh, chairperson of the mm. board of the SABC. Yes. So she was a person of impeccable uh, credentials. Mm. So I had to work under her when I was still in my mid-20s uh, as a spokesperson. Mm. And it went on and on until I was a councillor at Ikasa. And sure. I think I was appointed in a term. And Ikasa House is named after her now, ne? I think, it's yeah, Ikasa House. No, Ikasa was uh, still in Santin. No, I think I it's named after Me Ivy Matsepe Kasabur. Oh, yes, the yes, new house the building where yes. they are located yes, now in, yeah. in Pretoria. Yes. Now, but we had a contradiction after my appointment mm. in Ikasa, which introduces the other matter. Yes, yes, That yes. we had a case that we had to prosecute. Uh, it was a case in which Altec took the minister and Ikasa to court, mm. saying that our action to license spectrum was unprocedural and was not compliant with uh, the law. Mm. So we defended with the minister, we lost, and on appeal, Ikasa withdrew. And we said that, no, we were not going to appeal because we agreed with the judgment. It was mm. very evident that something was wrong in the action that you know arose that led to, to that. The minister was certainly not happy that the regulator was leaving her to go and carry the can alone. Mm. And this introduces the whole discussion around the relationship between uh, regulators mm. and the policy and, and let's talk about that because it doesn't only apply in, in the example you are giving in telecommunications but your work is looking at network industries broadly so how do, what role do regulators play in pricing of electricity, pricing of water pricing of road access the tolls uh, and of course now pricing of telecommunications um, I mean that experience uh, and I assume many others would have led you to that piece of work. Tell us a bit more about that work Yes, so in South Africa, mm. and indeed in many jurisdictions, infrastructure is financed through regulated calls, the tariffs. Mm. In fact. So there is no funding that goes into infrastructure coming from, let's say, the fiscals, sure. in the case of South Africa. So it's financed through the regulated uh, tariffs. Now, for a regulator to arrive at a particular tariff, mm. it has to assess the costs you know, of providing a service. So mm. if you are providing a megawatt e of electricity, mm. then the regulator has, has to understand how much it costs the to company, there, the yeah. firm, mm. to do that. Now, here's a problem that led to my study where you find that the costs are high. So if the costs are high, it means that the tariffs are also going to be high mm. because the company says, I want to be compensated for what I have spent mm. for, 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 for providing a, a, a service. So let's take uh, the current uh, situation in electricity, the what has been uh, the one of today. today. Yeah, yeah. NERSA had to look at the, uh, the cost of providing a, a service, electricity mm. service, uh, that has come uh, pays or incurs. Mm. Now, the problem for me in, in, in the study was that I have observed over the years that there are many factors that lead to the cost being high. Mm. And some of those uh, involve decisions that we take. Okay. So let's take the following uh, decisions just uh, to illustrate the point about mm. how cost can be high, leading to high uh, tariffs. When King Chaka International Airport was constructed, for, ex for example, the old Deben Airport still had about 10 years to go. Mm. So, but government insisted that it should be done and on, on, sh on short notice. Now, 
the, the, the airport was constructed outside a different view that no, we can't, you know, start a new airport mm. when this other airport can work. And you remember, there had to be a fast track because of the World Cup. World Cup yeah, yeah. So because of all those things, they were, the costs went up. Mm. And when AXA went to the regulator, the regulating uh, committee to say, okay, we've done everything that we're asked to do by government. Mm. Now pay up, give us uh, the tariff. Let the airlines pay and consequently the users pay. pay tariff, the yeah. regulator said, no, but you couldn't have done this. They said, yes, we did it because we agreed with the minister to do this. Mm. We agreed with government to do this. Who are you to tell us that we shouldn't have done this? Then the, you remember the old Deben airport was sold to Transnet. Now AXA wanted to pocket the money but also get a tariff. Mm. The regulator said, no, you can't do that. We want to incentivize the public. So the money that you got from the sale uh, from Transnet, we are going to throw it back. Will include it as part of what you are asking for, oh. because you you you, gain a, you, you got the profit. Mm. But what I'm trying to illustrate here is that a decision taken elsewhere, when now it comes to the determination of a tariff, it becomes a very big issue. Mm. When you look at telecoms, when you delay for ten years to license Spectrum mm. because of changes in ministries and all those kind of things, the costs accumulate because the companies had to improvise and build augmented networks to support that. So when they go to the regulator, the company say, no, but what about this? But mm. look at what the source is. The source is that there was no decision for 10 years mm. to, 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 to license Spectrum. So the companies paid the cost to improvise. So at the time of the determination of the tariff, the, the companies would then do that. The last one is what we're dealing with now, the uh, ESCOM uh, mm. uh, situation. Primary energy costs, IPP. Yes. Mm. If you look at uh, the, the whole issue of uh, Kusile and, 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 and Medupia, yeah. which is common cost that, uh, you know, the government at, at an opportune time didn't agree that ESCOM mm. should build new power stations because there was anticipation that the private sector was going to step in, which did not happen partly because of the tariff of uh, that uh, time. Mm. Now, what happened is that when uh, ESCOM was given a go-ahead to go and build the two power stations, it was on short notice. And what happened then, ESCOM had to use mm. the old designs, old budgets, and all those kind of things to, to do this. So out of a decision or indecision of a particular period, the cost of, 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 of regulation uh, went, went, went up. And when it's time to determine the tariffs, mm. those costs uh, have to be uh, factored in. So what I'm trying to do and, and illustrate is that what is key in regulation and indeed in mm. any endeavor, a state endeavor, is that the way institutions are configured in relation to each other mm. should be that mm. it leads to outs outcomes. You can't have a situation whereby institutions are just arranged for the sake of any arrangement, mm. even when they don't uh, give you the outcome. So I observe that there are many institutional misalignments mm. in the way the regulatory environment is designed, and that results in cost uh, going uh, up. And then obviously the consumers are not happy with the cost, uh, you know, uh, going uh, up. So that is the gist of what I'm yeah. trying to grapple with. There's something interesting um, that uh, you know somebody who's also worked, I guess, in the public service for a long time, raises about today's one, Lega Nersa. Um, and he says, in his view, the Treasury has, this is Eddie Rakabe on Twitter at Eddie Rakabe saying, Treasury is dropping the ball on administered prices. Tariff hikes in a crisis monopoly environment must be treated like any other fiscal policy decision and be accompanied by macroeconomic impact estimates. The Reserve Bank is going to respond with more 
interest rate tightening. And we certainly have heard the central bank saying part of the big issue for them on the risks is actually the risk part of administered prices. I mean, if you have a 60 or what 18.65% increase in tariffs, nowhere near where inflation is, it creates another incentive in terms of the price of money. Um, and his view here is that uh, actually this is something that should have been coordinated uh, within the bureaucracy. What, what's your view on that? Uh, or should regulators be regulators, be independent and be driven, I guess, by what they do? Look, I, I think, as I've said, when, when you incentivize a firm mm. that provides infrastructure services, you have to look at the cost. Mm. So if, when regulation was introduced across these sectors, the expectation was that they were, the, the firms were going to be efficient because they are regulated. Sure. But what we are seeing is that the firms are not efficient. Mm. So when the firms are not efficient, they bring this bloated cost. So it's e either you say, I'm not going to incentivize you. So the cost is bad, mm. but it's there. It's a real cost. And they need to recover that cost, y as you yes, say. Yeah, yeah. So that they can provide further service. Mm. Now, if you take a view that you are not going to incentivize the company for one reason or another mm. thing that you are raising, sure. then the company falls up because there's no other way to, you know. Mm. So the problem that we're dealing with is that regulation, particularly in the electricity sector, has failed to bring down the cost to efficient levels. Mm. So now we find ourselves having to incentivize costs that are not efficient. So NERSA says, mm. we agree with you, Abonga, uh, that uh, this uh, cost is inefficient. Mm. But the reality of the situation is that this is the objective cost that we're faced with. Like if diesel. We, yes. Yeah. If we don't yeah. incentivize this company, mm. this company is not going to uh, raise funding that's needed to you know, continue mm. to provide a service. Yeah. So in my study, I'm arguing that we need to go back to the original task of regulation, mm. which was to ensure efficiencies. We need to make sure that the firms, whether it's AXA, whether it's the Post Authority, the telecoms networks are efficient. Mm. Because if they are not, then someone will have to pay an mm. inefficient uh, price for an inefficient uh, uh, cost. So if we don't give them anything and say, okay, uh, we, we give you inflation uh, uh, align uh, prices, mm. which was the case in the early stages of, of regulation, mm. they will not have enough money to do what they are supposed to do. In the last three years, government gave ESCOM uh, about uh, 69 billion over mm. a three-year uh, period. That was clearly not enough, and NERSA wanted to include that in its own determination of the tariffs. And ESCOM went to court and said, this is our lucky packet. We got the lucky packet we got from the taxpayer. We, yeah, we got it this separately. We want to deal with you separately. So you are right around a coordination mm. because when the 69 billion was given to ESCOM over a three-year uh, period, uh, the, the expectation from the regulator was that that would be included in the tariffs and thereby mm. lower the tariff. But Dr. Nguna, it seems now we're being mugged on either side, right? So you mugged as a taxpayer via a fiscal you know, bailout, but seemingly you are also mugged via a higher than efficient pricing in the tariff as the consumer. Yes, when regulations fail to tame the costs of the companies, hmm. the consequence is that someone ought to pay. So the point is... Or double pay. Yes, you hmm. see, the point is that when we take decisions, even, let's say, at a political level, hmm. we need to appreciate that those decisions come at a cost. Yeah, There's a transaction sure. cost for every decision. So you can sit and say, I'm a politician, I've taken this decision, this none of my business. Hmm. The regulator will have to figure out how deals with with the situation. But what we have seen is that political decisions end up being regulatory decisions. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So 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 I guess, you know, for me, 
the conundrum that faces us uh, because it also if we, if we take the ports and our freight rail for instance as administered prices as well they have an implication and even the electricity one and i would add other prices as well on the competitiveness of our industry and of course on the ability of people just to live their lives i mean we have a cost of living crisis now do we need some form of crisis regulatory approach uh, when we are faced with moments like the one we're in or you know regulation is regulation and it should be able to deal and factor in moments of crisis look i, I think there's been some drawbacks in in in, in telecommunications you know in creating okay. a, a level a playing field from a competition a point of view mm. is not there of course it's not you one can't say that it's a foolproof there's sure. no as you and I know in, 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 in our own studies that there is nothing like a competitive market. No, for sure. You still have mm. such challenges. But the indication is that we are getting somewhere and with the licensing of Spectrum, mm. there is some light shining out there that indicates that we can have the, the tariffs going down in, in telecommunications. Mm. But in, elect in the electricity industry, I think there's going to take some time for as to bring ESCOM to efficient levels, if ever that will happen anytime mm. soon. Mm. So that is what I find my studies that in some industries, yes, we can do what you are saying and, and, and bring uh, the firms to efficient levels. But in some other industries, it looks like the problems have been allowed to fester mm. for a very long time. You know, there have been so many uh, ideological procrastinations mm. that uh, have led to cost uh, going up. Mm. So the, the the trajectory that I see from a regulatory point of view is that mm. it may take time in the electricity industry, but in other industries, yeah. I, I think there are lessons being learned. I see the the bill that is being introduced in in transport mm. is beginning to mitigate some of the problems that we have seen in the electricity industry. Mm. You know, so I find it very interesting. Which one? You mean the rail one? No, no the te the transport economic uh, regulator bill. Oh yes, okay. which is going uh, through a parliament. What it suggests mm. is that. There is now appreciation that we need to do things deliberately mm. for the purposes of achieving outcomes. Institutions cannot just be designed for political uh, purposes, but they must be designed with uh, an outcome in mind. Mm. And when things don't work out, we must be willing to change institutions. Sure, you can't sure. continue with the same institutional arrangement, mm. even when it's evident that things are not uh, working. Yeah. Now, the electricity regulatory design in South Africa mirrors that of other uh, countries. Mm. And one asks a question that given our unique challenges, because no, I don't think many countries, okay, maybe others might have gone through what we yeah, went some through. Some of our challenges are unique. Eh? Yes. Yeah. So what we need to do is whether we continue with the current uh, trajectory, mm. where inertia is just there to do the MYPDs, every five years but the situation uh, persists mm. or we need to rethink the regulatory sure. design for you know uh, that set one of the informants in my uh, research raised something very interesting mm. he says that uh, you know when it comes to Kusile and Midupi why did we build a uh, mega uh, power stations uh, why didn't we do modular power stations that can be you know a uh, built and escalated over a period of time. Also, oh, you build it and then you kind of add it, it, to it yes, over time. Yes, you modularize yeah. it because sure, it, sure. It, says, it suggests that it's not f the first time that South Africa experienced this situation of, you know, a build gone wrong. Mm. And when, didn't, why didn't we learn from the past, you know, in the in the build? The other point that he makes is that NERSA should have consulted before giving a go, a go ahead to build a, 
Kusile and, and Medubi. Mm. And this was later vindicated by the ruling of one court in the matter of Earth Life Africa. Yes, I remember and the yeah, case. Yeah, where yeah. they are saying that a regulator, mm. before it takes decisions or agrees with a minister, it has to go out and consult. To the public. Mm. So the courts are placing an onus on the regulators to go and consult and not so much on the uh, politicians. Mm. And that's what I've seen in a number of cases that have happened yeah. across the net. You know, network industry. Sure. Talk to me about universal access uh, because I guess it's also another contradiction that arises. Um, in instances where, you know, if the counterfactual often is that if give this thing to the private sector, private sector will run with it, right? Um, but what is the interface or the obligation placed on a regulator to, you know, incentivize in market actors, not only in cases where the state is the main actor, but some of the other market actors to ensure universal access? Because you know, taking things to Matatiela sometimes won't be as profitable, maybe, in telecoms as taking it to a more highly densified neighborhood, say, in Soweto. So how do you get that connectivity that might be assured and for granted here into the areas where it might not necessarily be as profitable uh, to get it in there? Well, that, is, that that's, has been happening in, 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 in the telecoms industry, mm. where there are two approaches to universal access. Sure. There is a pay or play. People always ask pay or play. Pay means that you make a contribution to the Investor Access Fund, yes, what yes, we call yeah. USASA, and the other, the regulator can impose obligations on the firm to go and run out e services in a, in, a, in a particular area. Sure. So the regulator obviously has to take into account many factors. While I was at ICASA, we did a determination of the amount of money that the, the firms, mm. the telcos must pay to the fund. Okay. And we had to subtract the cost of sales and all those costs all that mm. may be associated with a particular environment. So you, you less those costs and say pay this percentage of your profit after we have looked at a, you know the different cost elements mm. and, and, and remove them from the the, 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 the amount that you, 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 you put there. But at the same time when you make give them obligations to roll out uh, services in rural areas, mm. you have to factor that you know, you have to say to them that this is not a profitable area. So when we give you a year, let's agree on the incentives. And the incentives may come back to what they put into the fund and okay. say to them that because this is what we're already paying out there, you can't tax us again to mm. put so much money in the fund when we're also playing. So you defray the, what they would have put yeah, in the fund. So okay. the South sure. African model in telecommunications is both pay and play. Mm. They pay, but they can also play in terms of going to certain areas and roll out, you know. I see. So the issue with universal access is that it was necessary in South Africa that we needed to introduce universal access. Mm. But you see, universal access must be built by, by production on the supply side. Mm. Because if you focus a lot on achieving access, but there is no up in terms of uh, production, capacity, yeah. capacity mm. and mm. everything, you reach a stage where you have allocated everything that there is nothing left to allocate. Mm. So in the electricity industry, this is what one can learn to mm. say that it's fine. It was correct to say that let's uh, connect as many people. And INEP was successful. Yeah. Yes, mm. INEP and all mm. those kind of things. Mm. So it's correct to say let's allocate, let's connect everyone to the grid, but let's also produce er electricity and sure. do so efficiently. Sure. Similarly with water, I mean. Yeah, with water as well, mm, yes. Mm, there's a big debate at the moment. But but let's, let's I mean, just as, as, you know, as we get to the tail end of our discussion, um, you are saying there needs to be much greater coordination. And I'm quite interested, I guess, in the case of 
the regulators themselves in different spaces, be it water, electricity, telecoms. Um, to what degree is our regulatory process, in the case of state entities, broadband, infraco, I think, or maybe telecom to some degree, um, their capital spending. So ESCOM, for instance, today, they say that some of their capex is covered in the tariff. So there's some allocation that's made for whatever they might build in the future. I don't know to what degree that that is. But why 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 should they not go to the private capital markets to raise some of the money they need for their build? No, they can do so. Mm. Uh, you, you 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 have seen that. Uh, in fact, AXA has done that. Mm. But after doing that, the tariff must pay back because so the tariff must pay pay back the interest. So when mm. when when let's say AXA uh, went to to borrow for the World Cup money. Mm. Well, after you have done that, you go back to the regulator and say, I borrowed so much money to build infrastructure. Sure. Now the regulator give me a tariff that will also allow me to pay back. That loan. Yes, mm. to pay back that loan. So there is no escape for the public from paying in terms of how the model is designed. So even mm. when the firm goes out, someone ought to pay. You know, there is no free lunch as, uh, you know... Uh, People uh, like I think people it. in Gauteng will not like to hear that, Dr. Nkuna, especially after the hearing that e-tolls are gone, uh, because it applies even in that case, uh, where people go and raise capital, build the roads, and then when people somebody has to pay, there's an issue. Look, we are going to pay in Gauteng. Mm. We just don't know how we are going to pay, you know, because I wouldn't uh, envision a situation whereby n no one is just going, no one is going to pay. I think the issue maybe is about the mechanism, mechanism yeah, yeah. as opposed to really just saying that there will be no payment whatsoever. Mm. Whether it's tax, whether it's the uh, fuel levy, but somehow I have a sense from my own assessment of the, the financing mm. of infrastructure here and also in other jurisdictions. Sure. Someone is going to have to pay. Yeah. I just don't know who and how, but there will be payment at some point. Let's talk about your current job. A lot of people call in on this show and they say, ah, yeah, yeah, there's no monitoring and evaluation in the state. Where is the TPME? And yet, if you speak to bureaucrats, many of them will say, hey, the TPME is, is giving us a headache. They want us to fill out these SAYAS forms. They want us to do all of these things. What have you guys been busy with? Uh, and more importantly, what are we learning about the evolution of the South African bureaucracy across different tiers? Well, there is a lot of, uh, of, of learning and there have been many re reforms. Uh, the DPME is doing what it's supposed to do. The first point is that DPME coordinate the development of the mid-term plan of government, okay. which is the five-year plan called the MTSF, Medium-Term Strategic Framework. So there is a plan, in fact, in government called mm. the MTSF that comes out of the NDP. Yes. And then we then translate the, the MTSF into the annual plans of departments. So before departments can go to Cape Town and submit the annual plans in Parliament, they bring them to DPME in, at the end of every November, mm. no October, I mean, and then we look at them, make our inputs, and send it back to the, you know. We do monitoring uh, on a regular basis. We submit two monitoring reports to Cabinet, very comprehensive, on the state of performance in, 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 in government and indicate areas that are facing uh, challenges. There mm. are things that we pick on a regular basis. I mean, today I saw something that I acted on. Mm. You know, there is a road between Blue Move and Hopstad. That is, uh, the other side is Northwest, the other side is Free State. Someone t he posted a video of, uh, I'm not sure whether to call potholes because mm. there's no longer a road there. Yeah. <laughs> and as soon as I saw that, yeah. I picked up a phone, I called the DG in the Free State. Mm. I said, DG, 
what is this thing? Can we have a road like that connecting two uh, provinces? Mm. And DG said, no, I've seen this. And I said, then what? What are we going to do? So there are things that we see. Mm. We attend to them. We've been camping in, 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 in Nelson Mandela Bay to deal with uh, situations in the hospi uh, hospital sector there. There are serious uh, challenges mm. that we've observed. So we go there, camp there, meet with uh, stakeholders, make recommendations. Mm. And, and the other last thing that we do as DPME is that we're responsible for the performance management uh, system sure. of everyone. And we assist the president in the management of the performance management system of the, the, the ministers. So we know what is... So the ministers have signed performance contracts? No, all of them have signed with okay. no exception with, with the president, which is uh, a landmark uh, development. Mm. And the DGs as well, we always uh, participate in their uh, performance uh, assessment. So mm. we have a sense of who's doing what, where. I must say that uh, one cannot uh, argue that the system is perfect. Mm. And all of us uh, ag agree that there is a need for us to yeah. improve the planning, monitoring, mm. and evaluation uh, system. But it will be wrong to say there is nothing in place sure. that we are using to base the work that we are currently doing. Dr. Nguna, just as we wrap up, you know, in South Africa, we talk a lot about uh, developmental state. And, and one of the two interesting features of a developmental state, the one is this ability to incentivize and discipline capital. I think uh, we've spoken to some degree about disciplining and incentivizing firms via regulation. But the other one is this idea of a strong bureaucratic machinery that drives the development project. In your own assessment, I mean, you are somebody who has an eagle's eye view over a lot of this. What, is, what would you say is the current state of health of that bureaucracy? And does it shape up to the tasks... Uh, that we often, I guess, aspire to and um, ambitiously say that we want to be developmental by doing X and Y. Okay, you know, my, my assessment, and I, I, I mentioned this in, 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 in some way in my, my, my studies, that mm. the South African developmental state is not the same as that of the East Asian developmental state, mm. which was led by the bureaucracy, which sure. was called embedded uh, bureaucracy. Embedded autonomy. You know, autonomous, that, yeah, yeah. confident, mm. and everything. Mm. I was, uh, frankly speaking, is political-led. Mm. with the bureaucracy doing uh, much of the following. And I think I even under apartheid, the bureaucracy played a much more bigger role than... Just the, a secondary know, role, yeah, yeah. So, the, you know, you remember the people like Henrik van der Beel. Mm. I mean, we had a DG, uh, Daniel Barnard, who was in his 80s when he went to negotiate with Mandela. The person who went to sit with Mandela was a director general. Uh, Neil Barnard mm, mm. in in his state, yeah, yeah. So that was is, that's what happened when the bureaucracy is assertive, is confident, well and capacitated. Yeah. So I guess each and every jurisdiction will have its own form of. Mm. Uh, but I think what's happening in government now, there is a lot of engagement around the political admin interface, mm. and the president has been very supportive of the work, the proposals of the DGs in terms of what we can do to have a bureaucracy that is confident, assertive, but also secured. Mm. Because if, if DGs don't know when their uh, contracts Eesh. are going to be extended, and I see the same situation with municipal managers, I just mm. heard of two, three, who were told at the end of their term that, okay, your contract is ended. If you so wish, you can reapply. So there is no mechanism mm. to, to, to extend for those who are performing. And create continuity. Yeah. And create continuity. Mm. So a, 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 a number of municipal managers and indeed uh, DGs and HODs uh, mm. go through that situation, but the engagement between cabinet and our team of DGs has been very mm. positive, and it looks like uh, with the support of the president and, and the entire leadership, we are getting somewhere on this matter. Dr. Nkuna, thank you very much for taking time out so generously.
uh, to speak to us today and uh, to come back to your own familiar world of broadcasting. <laughs> 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 <laughs>